Welcome to Data Myths Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Melinda Gagnon. So, a little about us. I'm interested in how tech helps us improve our lives. I have 20 years experience in digital communications. I'm an ex-Googler and now help launch new companies and products. And I've spent 20 plus years evangelizing tech at some of the world's largest companies. Whether you're a datafile or a dataphobe, we have something for you on this podcast. So get ready. Let's go. Good morning, Brian. Hey, how's it going? It is going awesome. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm really excited about this podcast because, you know, not like I'm not excited about the other ones, but I think we're going to talk a lot about gaming today. And that's exciting to me because I like games. You mean you like games more than you like Shopify or MailChimp, for example? Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> Just Absolutely. Shout out to the last podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, uh, with you. Uh, gaming is more fun. And there is a ton going on right now in the gaming space. And I, and I feel like, I mean, there, there really always is. I mean, it's a fast, fast moving industry. Of course, there's a, a ton of revenue there, a ton of opportunity, but in the past two, three weeks, we've seen just a new major release, um, from, from significant industry players about gaming streaming services, which has been just fantastic to see. Yeah. It's really neat to see all of the different players coming out because if you, rewind the clock, there was really just a couple, you know, in the 80s and 90s, uh, it was the biggies, right? It was Nintendo and Sony and Atari earlier on. And, you know, on the computer side, the uh, the TRS and the Commodore 64 and Apple II, you know, there were a couple platforms, but uh, it really, there were a couple big players and that was about it. But now it seems like everybody's getting on board and has a gaming platform. I feel... Yeah. I feel a little reluctant that we don't have a gaming platform. I think <laughs> right. we should. We need to get on that and develop our own. Yeah, a big um, weekend project. Yeah, and uh, and this is coming uh, right amid uh, a big big gaming convention. So PAX East was uh, a couple weeks ago now, and and we had a couple of our, our teammates um, in Boston for for PAX East, and um, you know that's just basically a huge huge show about, you know, video games, tabletop games, and a huge focus of that is, is indie games and, you know, really seeing some of these smaller companies are doing, doing cool things. So they, uh, they, they got a, a kick out of it. And, uh, on that note, want to, want to give a big thanks to, uh, to Uprise Partners who sponsors our podcast. So we, we appreciate it very much. And, uh, Uprise does does a lot with gaming, so helping to to launch new games, market new games. So uh, you know the team was right in their in their milieu, so to speak, uh, being at PAX, which was cool. I just picture those guys like dressed up in like stormtrooper outfits, like walking around playing games all day, and that really makes me uh, smile. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's awesome. So, well, where do you want to where do you want to go? What do you want to talk well, about today? I, I think it it makes sense that we think about basically where, where gaming is today and where it could be going. So overall trends that we're seeing, because clearly something is happening that everyone's on board with, uh, you know, the major trends in play here with making these very significant investments in gaming streaming. So, so I mean, what are some of the things that you've seen in the past few years that, that may 
have led to this trend. Well, and so I would say before we talk about any of the new players, which are some of them are surprising to me, some of them are not, let's rewind the clock a little bit, right? So in 2008, this is an incredible statistic. 90 million units a year were sold for gaming platforms. Today, it's about 45 million. And that's on the traditional platforms. That doesn't include computers, mobile, et cetera. That is. So that's like console games. That's console games. Yeah. And so if you think that's a huge, I mean, that's half, right? So half of their business went away. Uh, Where did it all go? And so, you know, today in 2019, over 60% of that market is on the PC. And the rest of that is in mobile. Now, 38% is in mobile. Uh, that doesn't leave a lot that is going into other areas. You know, VR and AR are very niche today. They're kind of taking up a piece of that, but it involves using mobile or using a PC. So, you know, they're kind of counted separate. Mac has always not been a strong gaming platform per se. Um, iOS, different story. Apple iOS, one of the biggest game platforms as far as downloads and users are concerned, but that's because you know, so many people have an iPhone and that's counted on the platform. Yeah. And, you know, and in terms of, of revenue share, so like TV console VR is starting to go down, PC, MMO is starting to go down a little bit. And then the smartphones watches is growing. And I, I wonder if that, that growth is simply because the barrier to entry is lower You know, I mean, it's obviously less expensive to play a game, access a game on your mobile phone than it is to buy a console or or to have to have a a laptop or a computer that is good enough to play a game on. Well, and if you think about it, this is a classic programming problem, right? So if you think back to the Atari days, uh, I'm, I'm not sure right off the top of my head of how little you could actually store on that cartridge but it was not a lot. So when you created a game, you had to be thinking like almost a hardware manufacturer to make that game so that it was super efficient. And you made the game once, you sent it out to Fab, the game got pressed, and that was it. There were no updates, patches, or anything like that. You move into like the N64 era, where now all of a sudden you have disaggregated some of that memory and been able to put it in the device to store things like profiles and, and all of that. Now we're into a new realm, right? Where they can have a little bit of a patch and then you get into Xbox, right? And some of that information, some of the game was actually stored up in the cloud per, you know, per se, uh, being able to get patches for the game. And then you move into the computer realm, which has always been able to, uh, to get updates. You've got things like Blizzard and Diablo, which is one of my, uh, my favorites, as well as uh, Starcraft. I've, I've probably wrecked many, many of ours. Uh, confirmed. Confirmed, yeah. <laughs> uh, playing these games. But they're now coming out with you know a character set, and then the next patch or the next release has a whole new section of the game, and then they fix some of the gameplay and some of the AI. That wasn't available 15 years ago, really. Yeah. yeah. So gaming's really changed. And by the way, not giving you a hard time for 
playing lots of StarCraft. I, I, I am guilty of spending many, many hours playing Zelda. It's how, <laughs> it's how my, I learned, it's how I learned to run a business, you yeah. know, you build a pile on, that's like a manager and then the manager like can manage up to 10 things and, you know, so yeah, yeah. I think hey, it's, it's all, it's all a learning, you know, growing growth experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a firm believer. To- I think Blizzard should pivot because they haven't really knocked it out of the park with gaming lately. So maybe they should pivot and make a CRM and a, a business automation platform. Everyone would love it. Yeah. <laughs> Fly off the shelves. Yeah. So, you know, about this, this growth in, um, in mobile as well, I, I, I also want to think big picture about how this could be related to uh, how the revenue breakout in gaming is across the world too. So, so if that's growing, that may also be related to like where it's growing. So China is the leading country for, for gaming revenue. So followed by the U S but and it's, that's it's just a, that's just a numbers game, right? Yeah. I mean, there's many right. more people there. Right. So, uh, they have like 41% of the, the market U S has 32. Well, and I think the other interesting part is back to blizzard Blizzard created a version of Diablo specific for the mobile market, and it wasn't for the United States. It was for China they because know. they are obsessed with playing games on phone, mm-hmm. on mobile. So, so yeah. yeah. I mean, and as we look at who's developing what, too, I think this is also going to be very telling of, you know, all of these different players who are – when I say players, uh, companies who are launching games, uh, what markets are they focusing on? How are they entering? How are they growing? So this is all obviously interwoven, I think, into the, into the strategy. Yeah. I'm not a player. I just crush a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Boom. So, so in terms of, okay, who's doing what? We've got a lot of, a lot of companies in the mix. So let's, yes. And so let's bring this back to data because this is data myths and we talk about all things data. So let's talk about the why and where we are today, right? So today in the last two months, Apple has announced Apple Arcade. So they are making a streaming gaming platform. I'm just going to ramble off a bunch of these and then we'll circle. Give us the rundown. We'll circle back. Microsoft is coming out with a gaming platform which it's arguable that they already had that, right? So Google is coming out with Stadia, their gaming platform, which will be subscription-based for basically an open market. Um, Snapchat just announced that they're coming out with a platform, probably because their user base is eroding as quick as a, you know, a riverbank in a storm. And, uh, then you've got other players like Walmart. You've got players like Verizon, right? Walmart is now building a huge gaming platform. It's it's rumored. Um, that's interesting. And and if you think about it, they also just launched a gaming computer platform that, or not a platform, but they are now selling gaming computers. You know that is interesting. So now it looks like they're building some. Uh, adjacent markets there for themselves. And that's, that's really cool. You look at Verizon. Why is Verizon doing this? Well, a lot of these streaming games, you know, at a minimum 
Google is saying that, you know, you need at least 25 megabits per second for streaming. Well, now we're into 5G land. So why is Verizon doing it? Well, if I was them, I would be building demand around building out an expensive 5G network. So that's that's kind of the lay of the land of where we're at. It's it's complete ecosystem. And and that's I think the the key thing for anyone who you know doesn't follow gaming to realize that gaming is part of the media, entertainment, tech ecosystem and it's it's interwoven everywhere now. Well, when we were at CES, when we were at South by Southwest this year, South by Southwest this year for the first time, they have a gaming section now, all dedicated to games. You know, CES, tons of games. They've always had games there. But there were there were probably 25 different talks just about esports and companies like Cadillac and Coca-Cola and people that you wouldn't really think are in the esports arena are now talking about sponsoring esports teams. And what does that look like to monetize and and build out a community around? And to me, that's probably three other podcasts worth of content to talk through. Um, so let's just kind of stay today on the different platforms and streaming because yeah. I think that's interesting. So so let's talk just to start someplace in this massive list of 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 uh, news. Let's start with Google Stadia. So they kind of entered the market with a test last year. So they had um, basically one game that that they tested to to see how it worked, and that that wrapped up in in January. Uh, so that was called Project Stream, and. Um, Started it with Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I don't know if you're a fan. I haven't played it myself. Played it a little, but it killed the battery on my iPhone so bad okay. that uh, sorry, Apple. No. Yeah, so that's disappointing. So, uh, so yeah, but but they uh, they announced just a couple weeks ago that uh, Stadia is now a thing, and it's going to be across all types of devices: so PC, tablet, TV, phone, and have a very easy way to move between between device, which is interesting. That's very interesting because the opposite of that would be the Apple platform, which once again, Apple is causing people to lock in to their platform. Shocker. Shocker. You know, and and, and let's think about it. So Apple kind of created the problem. And so the problem is when Anthony and Kyle were at PAX, you know, two of our teammates, they came back and said, hey, there are a ton of of indie developers at this conference. Most of them have zero to no capital, no idea how to market their games. They are just trying to build games. And it was like me too. You know, they walked down a line and so many of them looked just like the other game. And so Apple did a great thing, right? Hundreds and millions of uh, active users on the gaming platform that they had, uh, Game Center. Uh, But there became a flood of free games and $3 and $2 games. And that doesn't bring a whole lot of value. So the next thing you know, there's a super crowded market space. And it's kind of like saying the statement, oh, you should be on social media as a business because it's free. You know, it's free advertising. Well, that might have been the case five years ago. 
But now because everybody thinks that they can build a, a business off of putting pictures on Instagram and, and Twitter and Facebook and wherever else, it's a crowded market space. So in the gaming space, it is incredibly crowded. It's really hard to get bandwidth. And as an indie developer, that's that's tough because you're up against EA and Blizzard and people that can put a billion dollars into building out a marketing campaign and really, truly rising to the top. So Apple is building this to really start to curate, right? And so you can go back to one of our other podcasts where we talk about curation, but they're basically starting to sift through and kind of curate the very best games. They're putting that in a subscription model. They're letting you download it uh, and stream it and, and all of that good stuff. So they've kind of built that platform to address the sea of mediocrity. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the gaming space. Well, and also this whole idea of how people share their gameplay, uh, share clips, uh, obviously, you know, Twitch is is a major phenomenon in the space of watching, you know, live gameplay. Uh, a really interesting thing that Google's doing with Stadia is leveraging YouTube. I mean, no surprise, YouTube is obviously a, a huge um, platform. I mean, it's, it's um, second biggest search engine. That's already a space where people are, are looking at gaming clips and the way that they're launching Stadia, they have their own controller and you can actually, with a, with a click of a button on the controller, you can capture and share clips to YouTube. And that is just another way that this is flexible. It's easy to share. It's easy to promote, bring people in. And, um, they also have this thing called state share that lets you, you know, share these moments and also share an exact link to a certain part of a game. And there are already people who are figuring out a way to, to monetize and, and really blow out this particular feature. So this is really significant. I mean, there are people making ten to $40,000 a month just announcing other people's games. You know, literally like, ooh, look, the person went over there and crouched down behind the thing. They're going to do the magic move and take out the opponent. I mean, it, it's really interesting. It's like, you know, Madden for video games, and it's huge. You know, oh, what's yeah. what's the average user count on Twitch? Or on Twitch, so fif- fifteen million daily active. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah. That's pretty sizable. And it's it's sizable. YouTube is a sixty three million. So. You know, YouTube's upping their game with sharing, you know, sharing video, like watch out Twitch. I mean, it's, this is, this is game on. Nice. Well, and if you think about it, right. So Twitch got snapped up for $950 million from Amazon. Amazon hasn't quite come out with a gaming platform yet, but has to be coming. It has to. But maybe by the time this airs, Amazon will have launched it yeah. or well, announced so, it. Well, I think they've got a lot of different problems coming about and having a having a pretty razor-thin margin probably uh, is starting to weigh on them and, and what they have to focus on. But the other piece to this is if you think about what, you know, as we move into streaming, right, that's a huge amount of data that has to get moved around. How is that possible? But more importantly, 
where is Netflix and Hulu in this whole thing? Good question. Non-existent. And so I've read a few articles and the articles start out saying, who's going to be the Netflix of gaming? When somebody's saying that, that is basically saying Netflix is not going to be the Netflix of gaming. Well, if you think about, uh, you know, you talked about Amazon razor-thin margins. Well, what have they invested in recently? Same thing that Hulu and Netflix have been investing in, which is original content, major films with, you know, major talent, and that is expensive. So do they have the coffers and the guts to start a gaming platform. I mean, well, they that's have, part of the picture. And they have huge data centers, so they have a lot of compute. They, you know, and that's where they're making all their money. Let's be honest. They're not making it on groceries and consumables. Right. Um, that's where the thin margins are. The, yes. the, the meaty margins are across the aisle over in the warehouse where all the computers are whizzing away. So Yeah, yeah. And get and yeah, and getting into that content space for sure. So so in terms of, you know, we've got Stadia, really flexible, great promotional aspects. Talked Apple. So Snap, this is a different flavor altogether. Yeah. So which I I actually like the simplicity of this. So they're Me building too. the whole platform, HTML five. It's all you know, really, it's all about ease. It's about making it easy for developers. They're not going to charge for the platform, but they are going to have some ads-based content in there. Uh, it sounds like it's they're prototyping that a bit or, you know, betaing that and figuring out how they, they monetize. But the cool part about that is they've built the platform so that up to 24 people can actually watch other people play games. So they built that Twitch functionality right into the game. And and that's really interesting to see too that the the marketing and viewership is is starting to be built in with it. It's not an add-on anymore. It's it's kind of native to to the game. And you know, the whole the, you know, Snap Games is just really cool in itself, but it's also part of this just just you know, again, not to take us off course here, but like this trend with snap of, of really trying to diversify and get stickier, uh, because, you know, they do have a lot of competition with lenses and, you know, with Instagram stories coming out and all of that, but they had their first real big press event just the, you know, last week. And, uh, and this was one of the big announcements and I, I want to talk more about scan and what they're doing with, with AR and all that stuff another time. But, um, you know, Essentially, what they're doing is saying, look, we need to figure out a way to keep people engaged and entertained um, while they're while they're using our platform. And this is Farmville. This, yeah. You know, that's. And the games, they look really fun. You know, their their launch video, it was stuff that was very similar to what the good old like Atari games were. You know, what was that one? Um, Space Invaders. Yeah. I think they had like a Space Invaders, uh, t- you know, play on it. And that's, it's just fun. You know, it's that kitschy kind of graphics and, um, yeah. Well, I mean, Minecraft is like that. Minecraft's not all about graphics. It's very boxy and that's the whole purpose of it. And, you know, you mentioned the, you know, monetization. So it's, it's an interesting take on those, 
a lot of us think are annoying, like ads, like just wait three seconds, you know, before you can hit skip, but they're doing, um, users opt in to looking at six second unskippable commercials. And then when they, they, they watch it for the whole six seconds, which feels like eternity a lot of times, but they get rewarded. So they either get like, they get something to benefit them in the game. If it's like a power up or, you know, some kind of bonus in game or something like that, which is such a cool idea. Well, they don't call it gamification for nothing, right? <laughs> I mean, like it's, it's Pavlov's dog. Gamification, yeah. You know? it's, it's a great idea. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that's all really interesting, you know, and it, I think if we fast forward it a little bit, um, where is this all going, right? And I think we've talked about this before and network effect and stickiness, right? Apple has a problem. Their iPhone sales have have started to erode. It might not be as interesting to pay a premium anymore. And the competition has actually been ahead of them technology-wise for quite some time. They've somehow managed to keep the magic juju alive. But I think it's starting to wane. So they're figuring out ways to keep people engaged and sticky on the platform. Oh, by the way, there's the 30% Apple tax. There's the 30% Google tax, right, to put an app in the store. And so there are now, and, and we talked about this in the Network Effects podcast, where that works. But what happens is the people that are in your platform, in your ecosystem, developers, et cetera, you're putting them at odds because that barrier is so high that they are trying to figure out every way to get off of your platform. And so EA, um, Electronic Arts, has built a platform for developers so that they can put their games out there. And they've had it out for two or three years now. It's, you know, it's, it's growing. It's, it's coming out of beta. Uh, and they're doing exactly that. I think they're charging 12 or, or 14. Yeah, I think I saw 12%. Yeah. And so their CEO actually came out and said, there's a four or 500% markup at 30%. So if Apple and Google are telling you that, oh, well, they're doing that to make the platform and your data secure, I'm here to tell you that we'll make a really great profit and we'll make sure your data is secure at 12 or 15 points. That's pretty compelling, right? And so they're not just going out and making games like they have in the past. They're also building up a platform and trying to capture the developer, and in gaming, that's huge because it's very developer centric and, you know, it, that's, that's interesting. So that's a non-traditional, you know, play here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so Microsoft is also in the mix. So when we think about what they're building out, so xCloud, so this is basically streaming Xbox games to PCs, consoles, mobile um, this is coming out this year. Um, you know, it seems like a lot of the buzz around what they're building is really connected in with, you know, how they're trying to make gaming, game streaming available on 4G and trying to make that accessible. Do you think part of their big play with, you know, how great this is, is, is purely on, you know, the fact that you can have this across different devices 
and you can use the connectivity that you already have. Absolutely. Right. There's always going to be people in the development space that go for features over efficiency. I think over the last 20 years, we've been in a race. Moore's law fell apart, right? Which is Moore's law every 18 months, uh, compute power doubles, uh, or the number of circuits actually double uh, in the same amount of space. Well, that's started to break down a little bit. And so when you think about it, when hardware performance is increasing sufficiently fast, software will always, you know, developers will always be more lazy because they can be. But when that slows down and the velocity of change for hardware slows down, developers have to start becoming very efficient, much like the old Atari and Nintendo folks, right? They have to get really, really efficient and make sure their code is really efficient, that all of their video uh, cutscenes are efficient, etc. I think now we're at that point in the road where 5G is going to help. That's sort of the next lever to let people, let developers just be lazy and continue to develop crazy cool stuff without much look at efficiency. But now you're going to start to get into streaming. And when you do that, you're going to alienate a bunch of people if you don't have kind of two strategies, meaning fast and, um, you know, highest performance as well as most efficient and, you know, low common, you know, lowest uh, common denominator performance. So I think it's really interesting to see how this is going to evolve as streaming and streaming games um, come about. And, you know, when we think about some of the, the, you know, in the news here, who has access to this type of, you know, computing power. So obviously it's, it's Apple, it's Google, uh, it's, it's Microsoft. Um, we've, it's Walmart. <laughs> it's Walmart too. Walmart so has mega data centers. this is very interesting. So there are rumors that Walmart could be exploring launching their own cloud gaming service. No one's saying if that is actually happening or not, but they have six huge data centers and that is very similar to what we see with Apple, Google, Microsoft. So tell me a little bit about this technology and how data centers are so critical to companies being able to launch these game streaming services. So great question. When I think about it, let's talk about what gaming is not. Gaming is not the same as streaming video, right? Streaming video, you use a processor, you use a codec, you encode that video stream. So basically, you're just compressing the video stream into a format that devices at the other end can decode. So that takes a bunch of compute processing and, you know, uses a GPU. It's very stabilized in that that just runs through. It takes a certain amount of time and then that gets put on the wire and sent to whoever's requesting it. So that is a very asynchronous process. So when you think about gaming, gaming is a very synchronous process. So latency matters. 
It's like the telephone. If you say something on the telephone that takes three seconds for the voice to get to the other end, that conversation gets really weird really quick. So when you think about gaming, there are inputs. People are clicking on things like crazy. You know, they're running around, they're holding down the mouse or or whatever, or dragging their finger across the screen. All of those inputs have to get transmitted somewhere to have the game do a certain something. And so all of that polygon processing is tremendous. So it's not, so it's also having to use a codec to sort of compress some of that video stream and the processing, but it's also having to do inbound, really low latency requests and handle those and serve those back out. So what's a codec? So a codec is just basically, call it an encryption algorithm. Uh, it may also have to do with things like quality uh, and, and determining quality of the stream, so to speak. But really, to just completely simplify it, it's essentially an algorithm that helps compress that uh, into a usable format. It's like Pied Piper. It's like Pied Piper, yeah, oh, absolutely. I get it, yeah. It's a middle-out algorithm, <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. It's middle I wonder, in, I wonder middle if Huli's coming out with their, their, their game streaming platform. Absolutely, uh, absolutely love that show. Yeah. It's so, in working in Silicon Valley for 24 years or so, it's uh, pretty spot on. It's but scary I digress. how spot on it is, yeah. Um, so, so, okay, so we're, we're, we're getting the the scene here and we're also seeing development of new GPUs that make all of this possible. So, so what's happening there? So let's talk a little bit. Not everybody probably knows what a GPU is. So break it down. GPU, CPU. Okay. So CPU, which is in your phone, which is in your computer. um, That's really the processor that does the bulk of the work. It's the multitasker. It's the thing that allows you to um, be downloading a file, listening to a podcast, typing an email, and getting internet traffic all at the same time. A CPU, it's wildly multifunctional. It can do a lot of things. It is a traffic cop. It's the best multitasker that you could ever imagine. Uh, But to be able to do all of those different streams, it sacrifices some performance. A GPU is very different. It is very, very focused on doing complex tasks that are very well boiled down. So an example of that might be calculating a math equation. And it just calculates the math equation over and over and over and over again. It knows the operands. It knows the some of the variables or where to find the variables, but it's all very defined and it does it until it's done. So it's not having to worry about pausing and taking some mouse inputs or going over here and getting something from a Wi-Fi connection and and putting that in a usable format. It's running math and it's doing it really fast and spitting that out. So it's, it's just very focused, a GPU. It has thousands of cores today. And if you think back, where did GPUs really come from? The interesting part is companies like, or not companies, gaming 
really drove the GPU business. So when Doom came out back in the early 90s, I was, I think it came out just a little bit before I was in college, first 3D gaming platform. It was glitchy as all heck. I remember blue screens of death all the time when trying to play it. Uh, really cool game. It pushed, you know, everything. Not long after that, NVIDIA came out with a GPU. It had something like, I think, 256 megs of uh, memory on it, or actually probably didn't even have that much. But it was all about calculating polygons for that game. Well, it seems like history is repeating itself because obviously gaming is pushing the industry forward again, and Doom is entering the picture again. It's going to be one of the first games that Stadia launches, so Google's Google's platform. And Google is building their own GPU. So well, they're partnering with uh, with AMD to build it. But it's all happening again, right? That cycle. Well, so now let's fast forward, right? We're going to skip out of gaming here for a few minutes and go to other places. So in 2010, this is really interesting. So all of these platforms, it became a race to get away from those square-edged games to smooth games and really kick-ass graphics. You know, Sony and the PlayStation was really kind of leading the charge. Nintendo was way far behind in that. Uh, But they really started to build those things. You know, the DVD was born. The Blu-ray was born. um, And all of those technologies. So GPUs started to grow like crazy to really meet the demands of these game programmers. Well, In 2010, the Air Force actually took almost 1,100 Sony PlayStation 3s and they built a supercomputer out of it. And not only did they build a supercomputer out of PlayStations, they built the fastest, you know, supercomputer, which is pretty amazing, right? And so the way that they did that is they were basically crunching math or crunching math equations and they were using the GPU for exactly what they're designed for. Well, fast forward, now we've got artificial intelligence and machine learning. What are they? Basically looking at huge, huge matrices of, of math, running equations, algorithms against that, and calculating the same thing over and over and over again to say, is this a hot dog or is this not a hot dog, right? <laughs> So many, so many references. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> HBO better send my. Uh, I know we check. are not sponsored by HBO. We mm. would like to be sponsored by HBO. <laughs> nah, nah. So, so now if you think about this, now moving full circle, Bitcoin. Bitcoin really wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for a GPU. AI and machine learning really wouldn't have been affordable if it wasn't for a GPU. So basically what we're saying, gamers everywhere, thank you for making the world a better place and making us have more interesting technology available. Thank you for eating all the munchies and staying up till 4 a.m. in your parents' basement and making... <laughs> Little did they all know, with every game, with every hour, they were, they were moving the train of innovation along. Yeah. So, so now, let's fast forward. So now we have the compute power. And that compute power for gaming, it kind of diverged and went into a bunch of other places. So you're right. Google is building their own GPU, but they have also built a TPU, Tensor Processing Unit. 
So TPU, that's really all about machine learning. So and it's and this has nothing to do with Halloween pranks, by the way. No TPU. No, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> huh. You're just full of it today. <laughs> but basically, they are building really sophisticated math processors that can, you know, just about every video card today can do a teraflop of compute. What is a teraflop? Can I I just say that's one of my favorite words right now? Oh boy. A teraflop. Okay. So a teraflop is basically how many million floating point processes you can do in a second. So a CPU is not that great at that because it's just not built that way. It is all about operations and GPUs are all focused on operations. So almost every video card on the market today does north of, you know, seven or eight teraflops. Some of the the latest ones are into the 10 plus, you know, 20 plus. So one of the things Google's bragging about is, is their, the fact that they're beating other major gaming platforms with, with this. So they have 10.7 teraflops compared to 4.2 for PlayStation 6 for Xbox One. So that's that's one of their their claims to fame with this new rollout of Stadia. That's really interesting. And if we think about it, so all of this GPU processing power is making streaming possible for Netflix. That's what Netflix uses a ton of GPUs for streaming. So that's part of it. The network bandwidth is the other part. There are more and more connected homes that are getting the last mile um, in a speed that is something uh, humane above uh, you know 10 megabits per second. You've got 5G on the horizon. 5G is going to be up to 300 uh, megabits. So that's going to be pretty lightning fast in comparison. So there's just, there's a lot of different pieces that are making this possible. And my question is, where is Netflix? Where is Hulu? And where is Amazon in the gaming world? Because they already have this stuff. Is it that they built something that's so specialized that they didn't figure out how to capitalize on it? Or is it because they've invested in all of this content and they don't have any, you know, dimes left over to, uh, to build this out. I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll see more in the next like two weeks. <laughs> the, the, the rate that they, that uh, news has been coming out has been incredible. So, you know, we'll, we'll definitely stay tuned and I'm waiting and watching to see what comes next. Yeah. Well, and I do want to talk a little bit more about the tech, right? So NVIDIA, one of the, the leaders in this space, they... They got a lot of their stuff got consumed and gaming actually got hurt for the last couple of years because everybody was buying video cards to mine Bitcoin. And so this comes down to a hardware versus software problem, right? Everybody's worried about the cars they drive and CO2 emissions and this and that. Meanwhile, you've got Bitcoin and I'm convinced that Bitcoin could single-handedly ruin the planet just on how much energy it takes to mine. Right. And so now all of a sudden you've got a platform that is forcing efficiency. So a ton of people went out, they bought a bunch of GPUs, stuck it in their house and then got an $1,100 electricity bill for the month. 
Oops. Yeah, it wasn't this guy, by the way. <laughs> so basically that started helping drive the efficiency of these video cards so that they weren't taking up 300 watts of power. So it actually started to get to a compute power per watt type conversation. So now we've started to see the opposite happen where efficiency now is starting to be looked at again. And so you've got NVIDIA, they are now building servers that have 40 GPUs in them, right? And they can essentially support, you know, hundreds of people doing AR games, VR games, and all of that. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's probably a ton more podcasts that we could do just on this topic and dissecting the technology behind it. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, have a great day. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Brian. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, and share. And if you have a question or an idea that would be great for us to include on the next episode, we would love to hear from you. Just send us an email at hello at datamist.com. You can also send us a note on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. And finally, want to give a big thanks to our sponsors, Infonomic Data and Uprise Partners. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll catch you next time.